0: Hello and welcome to the Extreme Perspectives podcast. We bring you conversations with the people who see things differently and think differently, the innovators, the outliers, the rebels and the crazy ones from the Sense Network. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. I seek out people with extreme perspectives, people who want to change things and push the human race forward. Together we collaborate with some of the world's most innovative companies to help them to be more innovative. Today, we're speaking with the nonlinear human, husband, dad, venture capitalist, coach, and chief of staff, Alex Dunstan. Keep listening as we discuss life, the universe, and everything from education to monetary policy, how to get out of thought traps to unleash your true self, and how we need different brains to advance the world. Hey, Alex. Hi, Jeremy. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I'm really pleased we could get a chat. What I would just love to do to get us going is if you could just a quick introduction to say who, what, where are you? But most importantly, are you an outlier, a misfit, a rebel or a crazy one? I've I've spent about uh, two years
1: now trying to play with these words to describe non-linear People um, I've actually come to the conclusion that um, it's quite hard to find a word because everyone inputs them differently. They have their own lenses. and I did a thing a few weeks we, yeah, a couple of years ago where I started something called linky Brains. and part of the problem is that when you start defining people by a label like that you end up getting people who reject it because they just see that the language not working for them in that way you see some people who get very noisy and like overly self-identify with that in quite just a sort of noisy annoying way um i've used all sorts of different words like with the thing i'm doing next called potential we've tried you know the people who see the world with different eyes non-linear thinkers all of these people so I have never solved that problem of what to call these people. It's like the judge once said when he was adjudicating on a porn case, I sort of know it when I see it. Um, just interesting people who see the world with different eyes, who make the world a better, more meaningful place to be and other kind of people that I want to spend my time around because I've decided that, you know, what is work? It's meaningful work with people you love. And I spent my thirties sort of I guess, collecting people and just filtering out, just just like meeting everyone, whether it's innovators in corporates, entrepreneurs, like used to work in advertising, so creative people there, spent a lot of time in and around these people in all these places. And... You know, now I'm in my 40s, I'm just like, what's a good life? It's spending as much time around these people as possible because they make the world a much more interesting place to be in. And we need them to solve a lot of humanity's problems. We don't seem very good at solving some of our our
0: issues at the moment. So just to push you on this point, have you found a term that you are comfortable self-identifying as?
1: Uh, Have I found a term for myself? No, is the answer. I, I, quite, I, I think a lot about labels, like, you know, I think especially when you've done like I've done multiple careers. And, you know, I think it's very easy to judge people off labels nowadays. Yeah. So what am I? I'm a dad. I'm someone who's got some form of ADD. I'm a VC. I'm a chief of staff. I'm a, you know, coach. I'm a, a husband like we all play these different roles all the time. And I think that, you know, we need heuristics and we're always desperate to label people as a something. And uh, I try as much as possible to be, um, and this is also just how, uh, one, one of the things I hate is dogma. And I hate, I think most people stick on things and they put labels on things way too quickly where the world is constant change. And I prefer to almost be faceless and labelless. Um, yep. It's why I increasingly actually do probably less of this stuff because I want to create brands and things that are bigger than the than 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 the person. Um, so anyway, I'm going off topic slightly, but I haven't found a good label. Um, I did like Linky Brains at the time. So Linky Brains is this term for creative people who often felt misunderstood in society, who were brilliant, but they were probably stuck in the corner of Deloitte. But um, vital for humanity's progress. But even that got it got it sort of like hijacked by shouty, linky brains. People go, oh, I'm a linky brain. And you're like, it's sort of not quite the point of what it should be. So anyway, back to the point of, I think it's just dangerous to label people too much. That's just my view.
0: Well, I think that's an insight that we share with so much more than our job titles. Yeah. That's for sure. You, you shared quite a lot of different titles and headings though. Just, can you just share a little bit about your journey? You were talking in terms of different decades and different paths through those decades. So where did the journey begin and sort of what are the things that have shaped you and to where you are today?
1: So I I kind of think I had quite a normalish childhood, seemed normalish in my head anyway. Um, although I just never felt like I understood things very well, I didn't learn things the way most people learn. I sort of always started at the end. I, could, I couldn't really follow instructions very well. And anyway, so that was kind of cool. And then you know I didn't know what to do. I went into advertising. I worked a decade at Emery Sarchi. Um, was the head of the central strategy unit. I looked after big brands like. Heineken, Ladbrokes, Line, doing ads and comms as well. And then it got to about 30 and I was like, I hate this now. This is just isn't nourishing anymore. And I just went wondering because I just went wondering and just making a nuisance of myself. I did an acquisition for the MNC Sarcher group. MNC um, Saarcher is a big marketing network um, of 186 companies and I bought a company called inside mobile, which turns out it's just the money printing machine for MC Saatchi reason that's important is that the partners thought I knew what I was doing, which I didn't, I was just wandering around in the dark and they gave me money to run a venture fund. So I've been running Saatchi invest for the last decade, um, which invests in early stage entrepreneurs. Um, we tend to back what we call cult leaders. People are obsessed about product, Will be cockroaches and never give up. Uh, but at the same time, I also started an innovation company with Tom Salmon and Andrew Humphreys. And that basically solved corporate innovation problems with a network of startups. So that just gave me access to this whole new world, this whole new network of entrepreneurs and innovation people. And now I'm doing two things. I'm chief of staff of a company called Redbrain. Um, Redbrain is one of the top five fastest growing startups in Europe that nobody's heard of. And I am also setting up a thing called Potential. And Potential is basically a thing for the 99% of people who somehow haven't had the opportunity. It's the thing about there's 7 billion people in the world. Everyone has, you know, there's all this talent, but not everyone has access to opportunity. And we want to take these people at moments they're lost and stuck and help knock them into a different orbit to unleash their potential on the world. And that will be starting companies it'll be investing in them. There'll be some uh, community stuff as well. Um, But really it's about that 99% of really interesting people. You know, Stoke is a long way from Silicon Valley is one of the uh, lines that we're playing with. But it's just based on, you know, people love to say that software is eating the world and software changes the world and tech, 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 tech. I personally think that when you free people from mental prisons, and you help them fill the gap between who they are and who they can be, incredible things happen. Everyone's got a story about that teacher at school who gave them freedom and permission to be the most extreme version of them, to go beast mode on the thing that they're amazing at. And I think we just, we crush the souls of lots of people and don't let them get anywhere near where they could be because we judge them through their credentials and whether they had PhDs or whether they went to the right school or whether. And what I've just found is when you open your mind, you open your eyes. Talent is simply everywhere uh, it's just that most people don't have the time or the inclination to really, really um, look and help these people
0: at what stage is potential i mean it it sounds awesome it it hits so many of the buttons that are uh, so important to me as well I recognize quite a lot of that myself and yeah. i'm sure you get that reaction from a lot of people who have taken unconventional paths i mean i I could I could share a story about I mean well I mean, sadly you. the world just lost um, Sir Ken Robinson who I believe has just done I'm you know I'm glad in his lifetime he got the respect and the honour um, that he deserved for bringing that whole for for totally reframing how we should look at education and and skills and there are different people out there. Um, and when you, you know, and certainly when you start to look at schools, there was a, there was a time that I was looking at alternative schools for one of my daughters who, you know, was absolutely fine at school, but she, like you mentioned of yourself, just sort of learned differently. And you start to look into these different places. And I remember going to visit, uh, one of these schools. Um, and I walked out and I, I just had tears welling up in my eyes because it just, I, I thought to myself, what if I'd gone through an institution like that, rather than being capable of doing scholarly things, but just not wanting to do them, but you sort of, you have to do them because you're capable of doing them. And yet I had no interest in going down that 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 route at all. I really, you know, and ended up having to fail things with permission of people around me. So I could then go and do the things that were usually considered the stuff that smart people didn't do, like the more creative sort of design stuff. So. I, I totally get that, and then there's obviously the the opportunities that come from that as well, and if you don't go through the normal channels or can't get onto the graduate programs, you know that was probably for our generation the sorts of routes in. There were very few alternative routes for people, right?
1: Yeah, I think the world is set up, isn't it for orderly MBA managerial types, people are very good at operating, people are good at taking lists and executing on lists and the the reality is, and I think we're at the bare bones of understanding how brains work, whether it's people with dyslexia, whether it's ADD, whether it's aspergers, or whether like and again, I'm a little bit wary of labels because I just think it's all a spectrum. Like society needs a range of different people. There's a reason you have entrepreneurs and then the operational CEOs who come in and run the business. There's a reason you have innovation departments and then the operational bit of companies. We need the different types of brains to advance the world. You know, it's like in the old days when we were monkeys, you had like 30% of the monkeys who used to watch the, let's call them the production monkeys, take the bananas, cut the bananas, eat the bananas, like day after day after day. They went, hang on a sec, what happens when the bananas run out? And they went and they went over water and they went over rocks and some of them got eaten by crocodiles. And some of them then found some coconuts to eat. I don't even think monkeys eat coconuts, but you get the, you get the analogy. We need both types. We need the people who can exist in chaos and we need the people who can do the order. I'm not sure how well, you know, I worked with people like Deloitte and Accenture. They cannot operate in chaos. They, they, they only have order, but creative people are awful at order process. Like management consultants look at timesheets of ad agencies and they like, why have you got 20 people in the room to do a creative campaign? That's a really inefficient
0: use of resource. It just doesn't make sense to them. And actually, there's, with 20 people, they're all from the same discipline as well. Yeah. So there's very little cognitive diversity. There's a bunch of people with the shared references. And I think that's one of the things when you look at advertising. There's still, I was looking at something this morning, they're still referencing ads from 1979. I think someone's done the the labor isn't working and has done the testing isn't working parody of that. And it's kind of like, are we still recycling ideas? But... I think to your point that's that's exactly it and we we had a very similar experience a few years ago when Beth Comstock was CMO at General Electric and there was a huge innovation drive there. And what they had identified as a business is they were amazing at recruiting people to do the operational stuff to scale the business up to drive the efficiencies yeah and they'd got so good at that they'd they'd kind of lost all of those other types of people that could start to think a little bit differently than in your language, in just the straight lines, in the linear sort of operational uh, lines. and they I think there was about three hundred two three hundred people on the global leadership team, and they were all sent off. To go and try and solve these problems. You know, where do we get these people from? And that's why they, they knocked on our door at Sense Worldwide, because they were interested in cognitive diversity, those fresh perspectives that you need to bring into the mix. Because in fact, it's it's our friends at the management consultancies who have driven efficiency to such a point that you know there is no slack left in that system. There is no time for people to kind of sort of sit around and think about how we might be able to do it better. And that now sort of has to be outsourced. And that again, I think is one of the big opportunities moving forward is where do those new ideas start to come from and how do we start to sort of reframe what the future looks like? Well, I think you have an incentives problem and a psychology problem. I think there's an
1: incentives problem in big corporates because why bother investing in innovation when you can just buy back your shares? The short term shareholder profit motive He's always going to push innovation into a corner, into a backseat um, because it just does. Um, and I think the second problem is a psychological one. We, we all want love, safety and belonging. We all like to be part of a tribe. And most people like the safety of being around people like them, people who look like them, who don't say things that make them feel uncomfortable. And increasingly, like the power of divergence, of conversation, of open-mindedness, It's hard to find, it's hard to find in corporates. It's hard to find on Twitter. It's hard to find in the actual world right now because everyone's so dogmatic and moving more towards people who look like them, people who speak like them, people who don't threaten them. And I'm like, wow, what a crappy world that is to live in. What a boring world that is to live in when you're just around people like you all the time. That's not how we built a great society. um, And it's not how you build new things
0: together. And if we want security, the way that we're going about it is complete. We're doing exactly the opposite than creating security. We've just been looking into security and understanding how that is changing. One of the good things that came out of this work was realizing that security is, is no longer as individual as it once was. We all know, it's, yes, it's me and yes, it's my family. But there's, what, what's coming through is a lot more about the community and people care for those who care for others. And this was something that was actually very pleasing that we saw coming out of talking to people all over the world about security as one of the big changes coming, but actually put that at the backdrop of what's happening in the world right now, and it is completely the opposite. There's, there's more and more division. I've, I've come to, in some ways it's a trite
1: thing to say, but I've had an epiphany on conversation. One plus one equals three. Like, whether you look at Brexit or whatever, we 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 seem to have lost empathy. We seem to have lost the ability to understand different people's point of view. Like we seem to have lost the ability to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. And everything great comes through conversation, understanding another point of view and making something better. Um, I don't think the world looks great if Silicon Valley builder people, you know, this Uber race, and <laughs> Uber in inverted commas, because I don't know if I want to spend all my life just around people in Silicon Valley talking about apps all the time. Um, The, you know, this Uber race of super smart, technical people um, just self-pleasuring themselves about their amazingness and their goodness at tech, like, and this, this elite club that is kind of built off the back of that, like, there just doesn't seem to be much joy in that, much building on that, much, weirdly, much advancement of humanity because you're just gonna keep backing the same people that you've always backed.
0: Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And as a build on that, someone shared with me an article by Douglas Rushkoff. Um, he wrote it, I think, a couple of years ago, but he was just talking about being invited to one of these elite conferences um, to be quizzed by hedge fund managers and Silicon Valley uh billionaires about the future and they were asking him questions about you know when the world um when when society breaks down as we know it um, and money is no longer useful how will i pay my security guards (laughs) and you know those sorts of those sorts of questions which was quite entertaining to sort of um go off go off there for a little while Um, he gave some good advice, which was start treating your security guards like friends today as opposed to some transactional things. So there was some good practical advice, um, but the big takeaway from this article that I was looking at was it was clear from reading this that Silicon Valley, despite all their um, sort of pitches of a better future, I think in their hearts they see a dystopian vision for where everything's going, and they're sort of risk managing. They're they're almost anticipating it uh, is going to melt down any second, and they're trying to you know sh- shore up their own personal situations as as best they can, and keep milking the the sort of the revenue they're taking from the Kool Aid they're peddling for as for as long as possible. And I don't think there are enough voices with um, a sort of a more optimistic view of, of the good that could be actually done. Um, and that was my defense. There are still a few of us left who want to promote a more optimistic vision for what we humans can achieve together as opposed to destroy each other.
1: Yeah, I want someone to present. I'm bored, we, we, we've gone from a cooperation game to a competition game in the world and I'm bored of competition. I want somebody to present a better, view of society it's like after the war after 1945 they all started like doing the jetsons and thinking they're all like everyone shared in prosperity we live in a world now where people aren't sharing in prosperity but nobody's presenting this view of what a better world could look like and it's important when jfk said we're going to go to the moon they went to the fucking moon and i don't know if anyone on a spreadsheet said it'd be good to go on a moon but people want something bigger than them people want to build something transcendent um, because that's in us. And I don't see anyone in the world presenting that better view in, their, in, in leadership. Uh, there may be, as you say, there, there, there's pockets of people. And, and by the way, the world is fucking amazing. I can get Wi Fi on a plane. I'm speaking to you now. It's, it's incredible. I'm speaking to you. You're in wherever you were. I'm speaking to you over a video chat. I've got a mobile phone with everything I could possibly ever need on it. And the, by any empirical measure, um, you know, you can read people like Matt Ridley on the Rational Optimist on this, living standards are better than they've ever been in any time in history before. Like if you look at, you know, where people were in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, living standards are better. And it's this mad thing where partly because we're, I, we're programmable monkeys and we just, we're so indoctrinated by the news, which is seeding all this division. And we're so anxious because our our brains weren't made for, Um, you know, all the stress that we're put under today, other than when we're being chased by lions and we're not chased by lions anymore, but we're chased by the worry that there might be pedophiles on the streets or the worry that Donald Trump might press a nuclear button. And, you know, it's kind of crazy that we live in the best of times, but
0: mentally we live in the worst of times and it's,
1: it's a mad thing. It's a mad thing.
0: And how much of that anxiety is being driven by algorithms designed by people who have cut their teeth in Las Vegas. How much of that? It's all, it's all incentive. So I
1: don't think of the algorithms. I think of incentive design. And so you have to look at the business model of social, largely social, but I guess other things, because I think that's where most of the, the anger at the algorithms comes from. And the incentive is to get people to click. And therefore the incentive is to make people angry because that's what get clicks. We're living through this great social experiment and we have no idea where it'll end up. And I think that what I'm hopeful about is that enough people become aware that people stop reading the news. They stop sticking to their own tribes. They start looking at all the more helpful, positive content, not positive in a hippy-dippy way, but just make your life better. You can work out how to live a life with more reciprocity. You can go and learn the piano using a YouTube video and some little lights that come down on the screen that show you how to press the keys rather than having to read sheet music. So what I'm doing at the moment, it's amazing. The internet's amazing. The world is amazing. And it's just um, crazy that we we are such programmable monkeys that we are, allow our emotions and our behavior be dictated by news, by screen, by, by, by the little... It used to be the red dot on your BlackBerry, didn't it? But the little red notification on your WhatsApp—it's kind of nuts. The only way to 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 work it out is turn your phone grayscale, create systems where you're only checking your phone three times a day. Stop reading Twitter. Follow different people on Twitter. Like I think we had a we had a problem of scarcity before. Now we have a problem of abundance. We've got so many things that can trigger us and make us angry and unhappy. And I think it's up to everyone to become more. Stoic in mindset to learn how to train their brain to come up with the kind of habits that really work for them But the thing that depresses me is that most humans are like they just they're either lazy or they've just grown habits Which they find very difficult to grow out of and I find that I just find it odd just because the way I'm wired I'm like people don't explore and work out try the things that might make them better They've got these these dogmas and the, they get stuck and lost and of course there's some empathy in that and there's some good reasons why some people might be traumatized and all that. But so many people are just, I don't know, either lazy or they're not curious. It, it's hard for me to understand that bit. That's the bit that if I had one wish for humans it's to take more responsibility for your own life and structure it in a way that makes you happier and have more empathy and stop running on the hamster wheel of craziness and just being this low level unhappy, go do some shadow work or something like that as well. Like, like, you've got all the resources in the world. It's a short life, you're gonna
0: die. Like, make the most of it. I I completely agree. And I think being able to, well, it, it's getting your head out of it, isn't it? Um, and, and, you know, just having that time out and a chance to sort of breathe and smell no the air. No one
1: does that. No one gets lost in the darkness anymore. No one just sits and writes and, well, I did a thing for two years. No, not for two years. I did a thing about a year and a half ago where I deliberately turned my brain off. I decided my brain wasn't that good at working out what I really wanted to do. And so I just followed. I just, I, I, I did a thing that a guy called Mark Andreessen recommends. Just clear your calendar. Just keep your calendar as free as possible because that enables you to work on the very thing that you're most motivated to do in that moment. And I deliberately just did what felt the most right at the time. Sometimes I just wrote, I did this thing called Morning Pages by Julia Cameron, which is just write three sides of A4 every day. Doesn't matter what you write. It can be, I put the bins out today and then I saw a house and then uh, and then you find like something, you get to something deeper where you're like, ah, oh, that's interesting. And you grow, you grow just through things like writing. If I wanted to play piano, I would play piano. And I just went and I just met some crazy people. There was a magician in Australia, there was just just all sorts I did some strange podcasts with strange people, but they were all really helpful to me and at that stage, what I was trying to do is I was trying to I was trying to get rid of some ego I was trying to dissolve some ego I was trying to understand some of the things that had some of the mental prisons that were blocking me and so it was all a, a, a random walk that released me from some of the prisons, whether it was I need to have status, I need to have this much money, I need to be this, I need to be that. And um, anyway, it feels more calm and serene because I gave myself the time to get lost and wander in the dark for a bit.
0: To try and sum that up in one quote, I gave some advice to somebody this morning who was having a bit of a crisis, deciding about what degree they should do. And my first, when I saw their message at 5am this morning, I just said, meditate. And because I said, don't make it an intellectual choice, make it, you know, you've got to, got to, got to feel it. And I, and I was able, it's, it's rare that I can use Bruce Lee quotes, but he does have a very good way of, for moments like this, he says, don't think, feel and just sort of switching off. And some of these decisions, they shouldn't be intellectual decisions. They should be more experienced, you know, should just sort of channel up what feels like the right thing to do. And I think that we, you know, when we talk about the conditioning that we're in, I think there's far too much of a scientific bias to everything that we do. We try and solve things like machines and yet we're feeling creatures, we're we're humans. Um, And you talk about the ego, the ego, I was um, watching a lecture, well, it's a, com- it's a conversation, I was gonna say not too dissimilar to this, but then that might be our egos speaking. It was David Blom and uh, um, uh, Jida Christian Murti having a conversation about the future of humans. And it was quite fascinating. They have touched on a few of the issues that you've brought up today as well. But they were just talking about ego and thought and consciousness. And actually how we don't tap into that enough, how we are just sort of pulled up into the wake of the, the sort of the machine and we don't take enough time just to kind of step out and like you were doing, just take a break from it all and just start feeling what you want to do as opposed to thinking about what you want to do. The
1: subconscious is way more powerful than we know. Like we've got no idea why we do half the things we do our subconscious doesn't talk to our conscious brain properly. Like we're always trying to second guess it like we've got so much pattern recognition, um, in our bodies and what we do before yet we act as if we've got this uh, amazing executive function in our brain that helps us understand why we do things. We have no idea why we do most things. Um, and if you read young or you read even some of the early Freud stuff, if you try and really understand like where most of our innate desires come from. Um, it's got nothing to do with the cognitive function at the front of your brain, but it's all to do with the subconscious. And I think that, again, I just think where we live in, you said it, this world of scientific rationality of this you know, uber word of achievement. I think that if we can spend more time sitting with ourselves in silence, understanding who we are, becoming more self-aware, having more empathy, it's sort of simple stuff, but we're just not taught. No one teaches you this stuff. No one doesn't get to go in school. Like, it's sort of weird. It, it, you can look at it as a thought experiment and go, if you think about where we are at children and where we end up, you're like, how did we get shaped into these things that value all of these things? Um, and I don't know. I'm interested in how do you keep the creative, curious, playfulness of children and you direct it into the place where they have most energies and desires, where they can double down on their strengths more rather than overcome their weaknesses and just do much more expression through play. I just wonder what a different world we'll live in. No one really knows because we don't do it. I'm interested in that. You touched
0: on a few things there that sparked a number of ideas. You were, um, one of which is how we we process stuff, which just then got me thinking about well what are humans good at and what are machines good at, and got me thinking about um, the role of well just thinking about chess and thinking about what you know what are the ultimate um, well it's no longer chess it's no longer the conversation it's all about go now, but you know when you start to look at what what are those best teams and You know, as we start to look to the future, I think all the things that we've been talking about around the creative mind or creative intelligence, as we might call it, is that awareness and knowing how to use it and how to use it at the right time. And it is about pattern recognition as well, because we've still got that ability as humans to make those creative leaps. We can make those connections. You know, we can sometimes spot the patterns. We don't necessarily do every single calculation that the machine might be doing, but we can just sort of bring things in from the periphery and make that creative leap. And it's starting to think about how we will work effectively together. I think it's, it's thinking about machines, not necessarily as butlers, but starting to think about them as these sort of centers for us who can, who can actually work alongside us and this sort of assisted way of doing things and it's and it's back to you know what are we going to be good at as humans you know if you're saying you know what's going to get automated what's going to be sort of just picked up by machines and then so where can humans remain competitive and the thing that we have left the one thing that is uniquely human is our is our is our creative abilities and and to think or put things together that haven't been put together before and that's I think that's what excites me more and and to your point I think that is what's going to drive the awareness of these skills that are needed and actually they're much it's, it's a very enjoyable thing to be doing as well to be kind of doing creative stuff to play like you were saying
1: yeah I hope we realize those kind of things sooner rather than later we tend to need things to go pretty bad before we do anything about them. But yeah, I totally agree. I think if you're trainable, you're substitutable. And so I think creativity's about the only non-replicable thing you can have, for sure. And I think there's a really interesting world like just going on to monetary policy, which probably your audience don't really care about, but we're obsessed with inflationary mo- monetary policy, our money being worth less every year, because that means that we spend it really, really quickly. We're in this mad situation at the moment where we we live in a deflationary world. Technology gets cheaper every year. And actually, rather than printing, printing lots of money, getting everyone more and more in debt, running more and more on the hamster wheel as they find that their purchasing power goes down and down and down every year, we could absolutely change how we run society going back to a dy- dy- uh, the, uh, this dystopian, utopian view. We could accept that we live in a deflationary world. We can accept that products and goods will get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Like think of your phone, think of what you can do with your phone now versus what you'd have had to have spent 20 years ago. And that's just going to keep increasing. And so you go, we could design a world where people actually don't have to work as much. They can do more creative things. We can have more abundance, but we have to lose our obsession with debt and we have to lose our obsession with an inflationary monetary policy. Um, And we can free up people to, you know, we can create whatever society we want. Um, We don't have, I don't think we have the skills, the imagination. I don't think we've got the courage to even have those discussions, but, um, but I'm so much more interested in a world where people can create and play and have more time freedom. Because so many people, if there's one thing they don't have, it's time freedom. They work ever harder and harder for less and less results. And it's like, and we celebrate it as if it's good. It's fucking nuts, it's madness. If you're like an alien coming to another planet, you're like, what are you doing? It's crazy. Why are you being yeah. so unhappy all the time?
0: It's not standard of living, it's quality of life. And, it, and it's about that space. And, and, and it, well, it's back to the point we made earlier about organizations. They've kind of squeezed out all of, the, all of that slack space that you had where you could think creative thoughts and, and do things a little bit differently. But we've, we've, we're almost squeezing that out of our lives as well. Unless as you did is you actually carve out some proper time to, to foster that and to nurture it. Yeah. Yeah. The corporate thing's really hard to
1: solve. The corporate thing of how do you get innovation to work? And if, even if you ignore incentives, the how do you get creative and operational people? How do you get that working well? is a super hard problem to solve. I haven't seen many people do that really, really well.
0: I was gonna come back to ask about, a li- bit more about potential, because it yeah. sounds like we're almost doing a a full circle here. We talked about sort of your, it sounds like you're just putting that together right now. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't answer your question
1: before. Where is it? It's coming. It's like a drug. I don't, we, like, we know there's lots and lots of latent demand for what we'll do. Um, and so there'll be an initial bandwidth problem, but essentially, um, so what will we do? I think before the end of the year, we'll have something out. There'll be investments, starting companies, but we'll basically give people who don't think they should, or people who haven't necessarily had the opportunity or seeing things that others maybe don't see. We'll be giving resources, time, money, belief, sometimes just the freedom to play. We've got a thing where you start companies by giving people a year to mess around, to understand what they're really passionate about, um, to make things on the internet and see where they end up. And if they end up more like their true self, more doing, they're closer to where they wouldn't been if they hadn't have taken the time out to explore then that's success. You've set someone into a different orbit and on a slightly different path. Here's one example. Early this year, there was a finance director of delivery, a girl called Hannah, who was, she was just like pretty miserable with the whole finance thing, right? And we just spent some time with her, went for a walk in the park. She had a cry at some point, loved education, done a PhD in her spare time in education. And In that case I think all we did was give her the belief that she could now she's just exploding she's so excited about the world she like literally can't stop herself just doing her problem is she can't stop working because she's just delighted to be doing the thing that she loved but before she was stuck in the prison she was and she was stuck in the prison of like getting rejected by Oxford to do something in education when you're 18 I think I might have misquoted some of that but there was there was a stuckness and when you can find that moment when people are lost and stuck and you can unleash their true self in the energy world, and all you need to do is go, you have permission in whatever way that is, you have permission, you have the freedom, you can do it. And people go, uh? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, how many people are there in the world like that? And how many people can you unlock in that way to get that level of either awareness and just that, it's just an unlock it's just you see it in their eyes the moment when they're like i can and sometimes you just have to play it out in their imagination as if it's really happened because what we imagine becomes real and that's what excites me those moments where you see that moment in their eyes where their just eyes light up and they lose the the thought traps they get themselves in
0: that sounds amazing
1: you like that uh, everyone likes it i need to do it don't i we need to do it gonna do it it's
0: happening it sounds like you're doing it we are I mean, doing it. are there going to be particular places you go to find these people is there kind of that's all, not I the mean-
1: problem the problem's filtering they're everywhere um they're literally everywhere some are in india some are in london some are in stoke some are doing some are cleaners some are Lots of fricking in high paying, brilliant jobs. And they're so fucking miserable. They want to shoot their face off. Like there's loads of them, millions of them actually. Yeah. Because, because it's a guy, Doug and I, we have all the tools of the internet. You know, you have noticed on LinkedIn, eyeballs aren't the problem. The problem's actually filtering and curation because there'll only be so much you can do at the start. We've already got three people working on it at the moment. We got a crazy guy called Tom who had a failed startup and has ADD. We've got a girl called Shazia who's sort of amazing, but was sort of just a bit stuck in an agency, not really going anywhere. And uh, we've got a guy called Chris who was a dropout from uni. And they're all amazing and they've got such energy and talent. You just sort of have to direct them there, there, and
0: they just go. It's amazing. Is To ask the question, is there anything that the Sense Network could help you with? You were looking for nonlinear people. I wondered if this had some connection to this.
1: It will do for sure. Look, so. I just think everything's a funnel. Everything's a funnel in a shop, right? And no matter what business you're in, there's a funnel and then there's something that happens out the other end, a transaction or something. And, you know, there are, you've obviously got a great network, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure that can plug in in some way. Um, you won't, I doubt you'll miss us. We'll be all over the internet. You know, you saw our posts from before. So I'm sure. i I just think, these these communities of people wherever they are, if you can help us get the message of how we do whatever bits we do first, whether it's the investing, the company creation, even some philanthropy stuff we gave a bunch of computers to schools. way to think about it actually is think of the moments at every stage of the life cycle so whether you're 14, 19, 20 like we want to be supporting people throughout their life wherever they go. You don't want to start with the economic yeah. model. You want to start with the person and fit the thing around the person and they might go on these weird nonlinear journeys, but you're like, it'd be great to stick around them for life. Whether it's, I'll give you another example. There's a guy called James Routledge. He used to work for, he had a failed startup, hated VC world, got quite depressed about the whole thing. Um, my co-founder in this, Doug, he took him on to run an investment fund. He'd never run an investment fund before, but Doug went, I think you can do it. And then he went and started a mental health startup called Sanctus and Doug then angel invested in that startup. So there's a beautiful thing when you choose to be on a ride with someone where you can stay with them throughout their life, no matter what journey they're on. And I'm like, wow, could you create a billion pounds of value in that? How many, how many ripples will there be in the world with James starting this mental health startup, which is now growing pretty big and doing pretty well, and you start going. You know, what's the metric? How many lives can you improve?
0: You're like, mm. So you've, you've taken the, um, the VC idea of investing in the leadership team and not necessarily the idea, but you're trying to find those people before they form the leadership. Before they know they
1: can, even before you take the people at the earliest stage, before they know they can do anything, and you set yep. them on the path. Because like I say, everyone's got that story of the teacher at school who gave them that belief. And they're, they're so willing and eager because they're so grateful. That's the other great thing. Like there's so many spoiled, ungrateful people in the world who think that the world deserves a chance. When you get these people, because they've never been given a shot before, you're like, they're hungry. They're hungry as fuck. And you're like, wow, that's what you want. You want the people who are so hungry, who are so passionate, who've got so much energy because they really care and because they're so grateful for any kind of opportunity. And... Those people can do anything. Like, if you you look at any startup, right, people forget. Like, I've invested in a bunch of startups with VC checks, but, you know, they'll have started as like, a poor kid in Karachi, an immigrant who came in from somewhere, an ADD dyslexic who had a stint in prison. Like, they all come from somewhere and they all become these famous people and they sort of don't talk about that stuff, but everyone has the backstory. No one talks about that. Um, But
0: yeah. Well, it sounds like you've created something. So, if it used to be getting on the graduate program at Sachi and Sachi, or if it was uh, getting on the graduate program for Goldman Sachs or Circle, it it. sounds like you've created something more aspirational there.
1: Yeah. Uh, In fact, you can join the circus troupe at Potential.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There you go. We've got it. It's taken us an hour. But you're yeah. the ringleader. Yeah,
1: you're, the, you're the circus. I'm, master. I'm
0: the clown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the
1: clown. I'm the trapeze artist. On the jester, the trickster, the sage, all of them going back to those labels. I feel a bit weird talking about too much when uh we're well, not weird talking about it, it's just it's we've already started creating the companies, we'll do some of the investing stuff and it will all just play.
0: Just consider it another rehearsal of your pitch, Alex. There you go. How did how I do? How did I um, do? It, <laughs> it sounded pretty good to me, and well, hopefully we'll get a few comments um, in the bottom <laughs> of this podcast right. if people like it and they want to hear some more. Um, but it does sound like I've I mean it, I've been having similar thoughts, not necessarily around put, like where you're going with potential, but you know you think of those people that put ideas onto Kickstarter. Most of them have spent 18 months building a community and making videos and things like, you know, what happens pre-Kickstarter? And you're saying, what happens pre-sort of management team? You know, we're sort of, we're going further out to try and find the rawness of some of those gems. Yeah.
1: Who are Um, the people who didn't go to the right union, don't have the right credentials who are fucking amazing? That's one, like, there's all kinds of ways you can find them, but that's just... I've just got quite interested in that, which is, you know, we like heuristics. We like shortcuts. We, we, we cut people out because they don't look right on a bit of paper. Yeah. But people surprise you all the time. It's, it's, it's like I say, it's the most precious and vulnerable resource we have in the world potential. And it's not very well nourished.
0: Not at all. Well, that's probably a very good place to conclude. Great. Thank no, you very surprised- much. Thank you very much. That was a spectacularly, uh, there were no boundaries there. We we bounced all over the place, didn't we? That was fantastic. Mm. That's how good conversations are. That brings us to the end of a great conversation with Alex. If you want to get out of thought traps, stop listening to the news, speak to different people and start making the world a better place. If you need some inspiration, you can go to senseworldwide.com and download a copy of The Crazy Ones. We will be back soon with another mind-expanding and inspirational conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Extreme Perspectives podcast from The Sense Network. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If so, please share it with your friends. We'd also love to hear what you think, so leave us a comment. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, at The Sense Network. And if you want to get hands on, collaborate on a project to make things better and make better things for people in the planet, join the Sense Network linked in the description. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to next time.